today on Ag News Daily. But the reality is, is we have had too much moisture, too many cold days. You know, the, the wheat already looks exceptionally poor in our neck of the woods. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here. Today's sole host of the Ag News Daily podcast, Delaney, is down in Chile, Puerto, uh, somewhere. I forget where she is exactly, but down there working with uh, a bunch of exporters and foreign purchasers of United States soybeans, moderating a panel or doing some such thing. We're going to be excited to get her back next Monday. She did not miss much in terms of the markets today, or I should say she missed a lot. It just wasn't great news for American producers. We'll get to that a little bit later with our Market Monday segment. We'll be joined by our good friend, Angie Setzer, so stay tuned for that. But before we dive into that, I figured it's probably worthwhile to hit some of the news that is driving our industry. The really, uh, the ongoing story continues to be the trade war. China did announce that they are putting retaliatory tariffs on $60 billion worth of U.S. goods, hit Wall Street, hit the commodity markets in the overnight. Uh, they did recover. Wall Street didn't, but the commodity markets did as we worked our way through the day. But basically, everybody is, or it seems as though the smart money is trying to bail out of riskier assets and put their money someplace safe. So uh, they're looking at putting these tariffs on all sorts of different goods coming out of the United States. One of the big ones is liquefied natural gas. Uh, we're going to see them put tariffs on frozen vegetables and um, all sorts of different things. Uh, let's see if I've got a better list here. I did. Let me make sure I can find it. Uh, so as of now, they've got a list of 51,040 U.S. products. And uh, there is now an additional 25% tariff on 2,493 products, including, as I mentioned, LNG, soy oil is going to be targeted, peanut oil, petrochemicals, frozen minerals, I don't know what that is, frankly, and cosmetics. Uh, most of the other products are going to see tariffs of 5 to 20%. Um, Still in place are the 25% tariffs on soybeans, beef, pork, seafood, vegetables, whiskey, ethanol. Those were the ones imposed late last summer. And uh, they did impose or suspend rather a 25% duty on auto imports during the trade negotiations. That was one of China's olive branches to try and keep things um, flowing as well as their state purchases of soybeans. Remember, if the state buys it in China, it is exempt from tariffs. Now, if a private, you know, quote-unquote private party buys those beans from the U.S., then they are still subject to the 25% tariff. So basically, looking out ahead, there's really only about $10 billion more of U.S. imports that China can put tariffs on. Um, but we could start to see them crack down again on regulatory approval. The Canadians are seeing the slow rolling of canola imports into the country. There's no tariff. There's no official, you know, headache for Canadian producers. But the Chinese are just not approving these shipments into the country just as fast. So once they're done, once all of the tariff jockeying is finished... Uh, just because China only has $10 billion worth of more products to tariff, 
don't think that they have to give up the fight. They can continue to fight in new and I'm sure interesting ways for those of us in agriculture. Now, there was some good news to come out of all of this. This escalation in the trade war seems to have taken these trade discussions up a notch. We did have Vice Premier Liu He in town meeting with USTR Robert Lighthizer. Now it sounds as though Chinese President Xi Jinping is going to sit down directly with Donald Trump and discuss. Uh, Trump said earlier this is going to happen next month. He said earlier today that he expects their discussion to be very fruitful. And this is, I mean, maybe the step we need to make to kind of get this thing worked out? I don't know. I don't know. But it's going to be interesting to keep an eye on G and Trump sitting down. Um, we'll see what gets worked out. Basically, you know, President Trump does not want to see China walk back previously negotiated upon deals like they had tried here just two weeks ago. So... We'll see what ends up happening. In the meantime, we are seeing farmers across the country continue to suffer. Uh, this was second Monday in a row, we had a terrible overnight trade. I am currently sitting in a tractor. I'm doing some work with B&H Ag Services up here in Hudson, Iowa. And just I'm sitting in a, in a tractor recording the podcast, looking out on the horizon. I see one, two... Two planners running and one drove by me here just about 20 minutes ago. We do have finally a little break in the weather in our personal part of the world. I know a lot of folks over the weekend got rain across Nebraska, western Iowa, parts of Illinois and Minnesota and Indiana. It is just a nightmare to get the crop in the ground. I don't yet have today's planning progress, but as soon as I do, if I'm not done recording, I will make sure that we get that sucker read to you. But it does sound as though the market is beginning to take notice. Now, let's see. Up until the market does take notice, and we put some prices, uh, put some improvement back under these prices, um, the, the government is getting involved. Apparently, this kind of snuck under my radar, but the House Ag Subcommittee on General Farm Commodities and Risk Management held a hearing looking to examine the state of the farm economy and to highlight the challenges facing producers. So after the hearing, subcommittee ranking member Glenn G.T. Thompson from Pennsylvania and Mike Conaway from Texas made the following remarks. So this is their quotes after their hearing. They said, quote, Today's testimony makes it clear that farmers and ranchers from all across the country have been struggling for nearly six years. While there are many factors outside of Congress's control affecting our farmers and ranchers, we have an opportunity to approve USMCA and pass meaningful relief to provide producers much-needed certainty. There were 369 members who voted in favor of the 2018 Farm Bill, but showing support for rural America isn't just something we do every five years. It should be at the forefront of policy debates. Now, in addition to making that comment, in addition to calling on Congress to pass the USMCA, they also reiterated a call to get a disaster relief bill through. And I had the chance over the weekend to take a little tour down Interstate 29 from Omaha uh, down to, oh, about Tabor in southwest Iowa. And I tell you, the amount of acres still covered with water blew my mind. Uh, some of the railroads down there are making some progress, getting tracks supported again that had washed out the interstate was open most places two lanes but in some cases still still down to one lane um but those acres aren't getting planted 
the number sheer number of grain bins that had burst open absolutely blew my mind. Um, definitely, definitely shocking sights to see. Definitely folks that need to have some kind of a a backstop. And since there is no coverage for stored grain, it seems to be a place for Uncle Sam to step in. Interesting story here coming out of the EU. Bayer, after their purchase of Monsanto, they announced today that apparently Monsanto had been compiling files on influential people such as journalists in France and likely did the same across Europe. Uh, French prosecutors said on Friday, just a couple days ago, that they opened an inquiry after the newspaper Le Monde filed a complaint alleging that Monsanto had kept a file of 200 names, including journalists and lawmakers, in hopes of influencing positions on pesticides. Uh, so Sunday Bear said, yep, those files do exist. Don't believe any laws were broken, but they're going to have an external firm take a look at it. And I'm fascinated by this because I just kind of assumed that every company keeps a list of people whose positions they're going to try to uh renegotiate. I I'm I don't understand what's illegal about this thing, but apparently this is causing quite a stir in Europe and it, maybe it's just going against the traditional French way of doing things. But um basically this is what the um Matthias Berninger who is a Bayer's head of public affairs. So he's kind of throwing Monsanto under the bus. He says, quote, when you collect non-publicly available data about individuals, a Rubicon is clearly crossed, regardless of whether data privacy laws were actually violated. And then Bayer has issued an apology. They did that over the weekend and he repeated it. So we'll keep an eye on this. Um, I don't know exactly what is going to come of it, if anything, but you can absolutely be sure that folks who don't care for modern agriculture, Modern big businesses, they're going to seize on this. We're going to hear about evil Monsatan keeping files on all these people for years to come. So there's definitely going to be some repercussions. Um, another story we've got today that Angie will touch on just a little bit is Donald Trump said today that the administration was planning to provide about $15 billion in aid to U.S. farmers. Now, we don't know exactly what form of aid that is going to be. Will it be another MFP payment like we saw last year? Trump has said on Twitter over the weekend that perhaps USDA should just step in and outright buy soybeans and then ship them to poor countries. Um, and not just soybeans, probably looking at a whole mess of agricultural products. But obviously soybeans are the ones that are that are kind of driving this here. Um, yeah. Don't know. Don't know what this is going to look like. Apparently, Sonny Perdue said on Friday that Trump has asked him to create a plan to help farmers cope with the impact of the trade war. And, you know, we've got to think back to last year that MFP payment was $6 billion of a $12 billion package. Now we're talking a $15 billion package. So theoretically, there could be some aid coming down the pipe for the American grower who is stuck uh, bearing the brunt of this trade war. And President Trump says we are going to pay for this out of the tariffs that are collected on Chinese goods. So if, if any growers are listening, if you have bought a tractor or a grain bin in the last year, those are products whose prices have increased due to this trade war. Basically, Trump's going to give you a rebate on that because Remember, tariffs aren't paid by China. They're paid by us buying stuff from China. 
Um, and we're going to get a chunk of that back, perhaps, as some form of aid package. That's all I've got for real news in the world of agriculture. Not a lot of upbeat stuff going on today, as I'm sure isn't shocking for a lot of us. But as I mentioned, did have a turnaround in the markets. Angel, give us the details. But before we do that, I will read the closing prices. And they are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, you can get in touch with the folks at Zaner. You can get help managing your marketing risk by giving them a call at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. July corn up four and three quarter cents, closed at 356 and a half. December up four and a half to finish at 376 and a half. In soybeans, uh, well off the lows. The July contract was down six and three quarters at 802 even. November new crop down five and three quarters at 827 and a half. And wheat was the big winner on the day. Chicago wheat, July contract up 12 and a quarter cents, closed at 437 even. December up 11 and a half to finish at 459 and three quarters. Jumping over to the world of livestock, it is red all down the screen today. In live cattle, the June was off $2.70 at 109.75. The August down $1.90. 97.50 to finish at 106.92 and a half. Feeder cattle, oof. May contract down 257.50 at 135.05. The August down 37. Excuse me, down three dollars 72 and a half cents to finish at 143.10. And lean hogs, June limit down three dollars, closed at 86.67.50. July limit down, close the day at 87. 75. Jump over and see if dairy market was spared, and they were not. The May Class 3 milk contract dropped 3 cents on the day at 16.30, with the June off 15 at 16.16. Without further ado, let's kick it over to Andy Setzer. Well, folks, it is hashtag Market Monday on the podcast, and Market Monday it is indeed. Another Monday where we don't have a whole lot to uh, shout with joy over, but I suppose we did uh, close off the lows substantially. So joining us today is our good friend Angie Setzer, the Cash Grains Pro, the at Goddess of Grain on Twitter. Angie, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Well, thanks for calling. Well, let's jump right into it. We saw corn do quite a halfway decent move here as we moved into the afternoon. May was up five cents, D's up four and a half. I mean, what happened halfway through the day to really kind of light a fire under that market? <laughs> well, you know, I'm honestly not 100% sure what actually took place to, to make the transition, other than the fact that maybe we're just finally recognizing what weather is doing. Um, you know, we've had a lot of conversations about what's taking place across the countryside, and obviously now, uh, you know, you're calling from a, a tractor here, and that's a, a big first-time move, it feels like, for you guys there in eastern Iowa in quite some time. Um, and I think that's, that's really something that, you know, we're looking at across the board there. Uh, Illinois at this point in time is looking at maybe, you know, a lot of farmers there are saying maybe 25% uh, sort of progress on that side. And that's substantially lower than where we've been, you know, over the the course of, of history here when it comes to planning progress and things of that nature. So we're waiting to get the uh, crop progress report out here this afternoon in about another half hour, 40 minutes or so, and it really looks like we're, we're going to be lagging. And obviously the USDA said on Friday that uh, the yield numbers and harvest percentage and things of that nature that they were putting together was influenced strongly by having normal planting pace by the middle of May. 
and obviously we're anything but normal this year. So it'll be interesting to see what that means as we move ahead. So given today's, I'm going to call it a rally. I'm in a nickel move in corn lately. We're going to call that a, a half-day rally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is there still going to be room to move if progress does come in slower than average, or is it going to have to be substantially delayed to see this thing carry through in the overnights and into tomorrow? Well, I think I don't know if it's necessarily as much focused on where we are this afternoon, per se, as what we're going to see happen in the next week and and couple weeks ahead. So, um, you know, obviously there's a lot of conversation about it, where we are, and there will be, and there should be. Um, but what does the, the National Weather Service say when it comes to the extended forecast? The numbers that we saw um, yesterday, or last night anyway, would indicate that we're going to stay below normal temperature-wise and above normal precipitation-wise throughout the bulk of the Corn Belt here, especially in those areas that have been dealing with this, these cold, wet conditions. Now, the 6 to 10 does show some warming, warming trends here um, as of yesterday in the Eastern Belt, but you look a little bit further out, we have a three to four week experimental forecast that they're putting out now, and it maintains that cold, wet bias basically through the first week of June. Um, and so that's really something I think traders are beginning to pay attention to. And I think the other factor at play here is the idea that we really didn't get much in the way of progress done last week. And a lot of folks are basically, you know, in line to where we could get into the field about the time the next rain is forecast yep. um, here. And so what do you start to do with that? You know, not only that, but I think a lot of the areas that are dealing that have been planted, um, you know, did it ahead of that pounding cold rain and last year that was the worst thing for us here in the state was you know we did get a, a good amount of progress done but then we saw that really heavy rain fall that was very very cold and basically the seed just sat there and, and had to be replanted so that's a secondary question and what does that look like you know when it comes to production potential as a whole so hopefully we didn't see a guy a bunch of guys running out making some panic sales on friday or this morning how long should they be, what should be their target as you look ahead, given the uncertainty, particularly in the forecast? It's such, it's such a hard day. It really just has to be something based on, you know, what each farmer himself is up against, him or herself, obviously. And, I mean, I know that's just kind of a phone-it-in sort of answer. I am anticipating that we should see some sort of weather um, scare come back in and, and I'm talking to my customers about what they'll do if we get that 5 to 10 percent increase in, in value. So, you know, obviously that's somewhere between, you know, 15 to, to 30 cents of gain and in my opinion maybe a touch more than that, you know, to kind of come back into this market just from a weather premium sort of standpoint and then put us back up into that, you know, 370 on the July, 390 on the Dece and, and upwards of that 385 or so maybe on the high end. You know, and I'm not one to sit here and price predict, but I think that, you know, right now the most important thing for a farmer is to take stock into what he or she is looking at, how much old crop supplies they have left, what kind of price target they're looking for, and then obviously looking at their new crop sales and, and making sure that they have target orders in place to cover themselves, you know, when this market does give us some opportunity, because it is very likely that it could be a very fleeting possible, uh, opportunity, and it's something that you're going to want to have, you know, Prices in play for, targets in play for. The biggest thing that I'm looking at right now 
you know, overall is if you are optimistic, this market structure, and if you think the price is going to rally, and you're sitting in one of those areas that just has a boatload of corn sitting idle or beans sitting idle or something of that nature, we're hearing a lot of stories about what basis opportunities are unfolding mm-hmm. across the countryside. So be aware of, you know, what a basis contract could look like or what a sell-and-defense type of position could look like and, and make sure that you're not waiting um, for that magical move that may not happen only to figure out that everyone else has, has moved ahead of you and you're unable to, to grab that good basis you're seeing right now. Absolutely. Don't be the last to the dance. Yes. Yes. Well, so on the corn side then, are can we at least for the next, let's say, four weeks – Say that perhaps trade shenanigans are out of the picture. We're squarely focused on weather and planting progress and emergence. Is that is that your thought? Well, that's how it should be. I mean, reality is how much corn is China actually exactly. from us over the last six or seven years. So, I mean, were we really factoring in that they were going to take the three million metric ton that they had committed to for one and and refused to purchase basically or had slowly started to purchase? You know, were we thinking that it was going to be an ethanol boom on that part? I mean, what exactly um, was bullish in China trade talks when it came to to corn as a whole anyway? Um, I think corn's just been kind of a victim of uh, hanging out with the wrong crowd, i.e. wheat and soybeans, and, you know, really has been pummeled when it comes to, to that side. I think it's been more headline risk. Now, obviously, we haven't seen anything supportive from supply and demand outlines, you know, that the USDA has given us, and we've seen substantial growth in production out of South America here this year versus last. So there's been a couple of whammies, but... Uh, does China should China really influence the Chinese trade talks? Should they influence the direction of the corn market? In my opinion, you know, almost absolutely not. I mean, we found six billion bushel of additional corn there November first. What yeah. just think that they were going to come in and and be our savior? Um, whatever it was, you know, makes little sense to me. So I think we really need to be focusing on. You know, what the supply and demand structure looks like for new crop, we got the USDA's initial number. Like I said, that was based on normal planting progress by the middle of May. Here we are at the middle of May, and we're far from normal when it comes to to progress there. So I think we have to start taking into consideration what, uh, you know, a, a late planted crop looks like from a, a yield drag standpoint, and what are we actually looking at when it comes to overall acreage. Remember, the biggest increase in acres you know, year-to-year per state was in North Dakota, and their uh, late planting date starts on the 21st of May. Oh, man, yes, we are getting really close. (laughs) We we are beyond Mother's Day. So I had said a month ago, if we're still cold and wet on May 10th, the market should be paying attention. And I was obviously a little uh, off on my date because I think now we're finally getting to where it's like, oh, I guess we should be paying attention. So, um, you know, I, I think it's important to watch, and I, I think traders, you know, should be starting to recognize, you know, what exactly we're looking at when it comes to this, you know, being stuck in this cold, um, sort of wet type pattern that we've been seeing for quite some time now, it feels like. Well, let's talk about the soybean market. Uh, Angie, second week in a row, second ugly Monday for soybeans, but again, a pretty phenomenal rally off the lows here late in the day. We were, what, 17 down in the overnights, and now we're, we heck, only closed November, what, five and three quarters down. So really, really a pretty good bounce. Yeah, I would say that's a good bounce. You know, it's, it's a solid number for the girls I hang out with. So, I mean, 
The reality is, though, you can't be bullish corn on planting delays and bullish soybeans for the same reason, just because that doesn't really work, obviously. Um, you know, but the the fact is, no one's really certain what this $15 billion in aid is going to look like. Um, you know, President Trump continues to reiterate purchasing supplies and donating them to, to poor countries. Um, is there a, a program, a, a set-aside style type program introduced from a short-term standpoint? You know, obviously none of this stuff I am saying, you know, I'm not advocating for any of it uh, in the words of, of a, a friend of mine. This is not something I'm advocating for, but it's something that could show up. So I think that's one of the unknowns that we have now that's starting to creep back into this marketplace. You know, what exactly does this uh, price support or, or um, you know, a secondary line of MFP, what are we looking at with that? So I think that may help a little bit, um, you know, just with the unknown or the uncertainty as to, to what that could, you know, turn into as we move ahead. But, um, you know, I don't think anyone can really look at the S&D uh, table on soybeans and, and say that there's any reason we should be trading higher other than the fact that we've been trading lower for so long. I mean, look at what we've lost basically in the last month. Uh, on November, soybeans were down to 827. You know, and, and it seems like only yesterday we were 965 futures with the, you know, with the, the market staying relatively supported. So, um, you know, we've lost a lot really quickly. So I could see where that would kind of turn into some support and maybe some more sideways trade, you know, as we try to kind of wrap our minds around what uh, MFP part do, you know, plus the, the production season is going to look like. Well, let's talk about our options here. I mean, I, given this rapid drop, given the fact that I, I, I'm in the camp that feels like we got to have something turn around at some point, even just just the dead cat bounce, something's got to change here and pop these beans up just, geez, even a little bit, get us back towards 850 on that November. What are your thoughts on, on getting buying some calls down in here? Uh, I have such a hard time. I mean, I'm, I'm, if you're already sitting long, you don't need to, to have ownership, in my opinion, on, on a call side of things. I mean, um, you know, soybeans right now are, are six in, in one hand, half dozen in the other when it comes down to it. I mean, I, I had said at 935 Futures, it was like picking which cousin you wanted to date. Now mm -hmm. it's, it's really, it's really, we're a buck lower. Now where are we, you know? And so, hey, you've gone beyond dating that cousin, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. That's it. We're marrying them and, and having a stick for a family tree here. So, <laughs> I mean, it's just a, it's a hard, when you're already struggling with maintaining the cost of production, do you, how, you know, how do you accurately rationalize going out and spending, you know, 15, 20 cents? And, and what are you looking at when it comes to the return on your investment from a, from an option standpoint with, with the way volatility has been and, and things like that? Now, I'm not... I'm not saying it's not something you 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 don't look at from a sell and defend sort of standpoint, but you know we're at 827 futures right now. You're talking about an 850 high side. You know what does that turn into from a call? Do you spend 15, 20 cents and and find a nickel? Right. Um, you know, and and so in these types of really tight margin situations, obviously it's important to pay attention to you know really your structure as a whole. You know what you're up against, what you're looking for. 
you know, talk to your grain buyer. I mean, there's some guaranteed accumulator structures out there that, and I'm not pushing anything by any means. It's all about personal preference. But, you know, where you can gain an extra 25 cents or so but still have this floor in place. I mean, obviously your upside's limited much beyond that, so you have to make that type of decision. But you also know that your downside is is capped. You're, you're done. So if you're extremely bearish, you know, it's a good way to, to maintain a floor and, and get a little premium, too. But if you're if you're bullish the market and you're already long the beans and you've already rode, you know, this far, what are you, you know, what what's going to make you make a decision today, I guess. is And it's it's a hard place to be in. It's, it's exceptionally hard from a farmer standpoint, obviously, and it's very hard from a, an advisor or a buyer standpoint, in my opinion, just simply because, the last thing I want to see is anyone lose any more money, but the the very, very last thing I want to see is you already have lost this much money and then you're just going to spend, you know, throw some more into the, the wishing well hoping something happens. And, and so it's just something, you know, a very delicate line to kind of walk on, you know, here as we we just got to see what this MFP part looks like and, and all that good stuff and go from there, I guess. Oh, geez. Now, uh, we did see a, a big upside move in Chicago wheat. I, I've not been paying attention. What happened? <laughs> I think it has a lot to do with weather there, too, in, in my opinion. Now, you know, maybe I, I missed something myself. I was sitting in a, a farmer meeting going over the very same thing that you and I just talked about on how the heck do I put lipstick on this soybean pig. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, we were, were kind of going over that, and I missed where the turnaround came into play. But I'm going to tell you this much, just I'm going to... I'm going to preach on some backyarditis here, but the reality is is it, we have had too much moisture, too many cold days. You know, the, the wheat already looks exceptionally poor in our neck of the woods. If you look at everyone's talking about how great winter wheat conditions look versus a year ago, that's all the southern plains, baby. That's your hard red wheat areas that are really seeing that improvement, not so much the soft red wheat. And so... You know, in our neck of the woods right now, we would have a heck of a lot more tore up if we could actually get into the field. So there may be some folks that are committed to a crop that's less than stellar. They didn't fertilize it when they had the opportunity because they were planning on tearing it up, this, that, and the other thing. And, I mean, I I really think production as a whole, as someone had asked, uh, we'd had a conversation on Twitter here a week or so ago about what we thought would take place in the, the soft red winter wheat complex and it's not the yield that concerns me obviously we're getting decent rain and things of that nature and should have a a relatively nice uh potential when it comes to to bushel per acre you know for what we've got relatively speaking it's the harvested acres i mean you're looking at a significant decrease in ontario uh that's already been heavily discussed they were already down from a planting perspective and are looking at tearing up a, a good portion of what they have due to poor conditions and prices very much the same, I think, in, in this neck of the woods. I know in Michigan, at least, you know, the bulk of my customers right now, those who got stuff planted um, are questioning, you know, like I said, do they tear it up? I got a lot of guys that already have or got out at least to get it rounded, round, round up. Is it rounded up or round up? Yeah, you're round up. It's uh, round up. Yeah, she she ain't alive no more, and so but they can't get into to disc it down or do anything like that just yet. So they've made the decision, and now they're wondering if it was the right one. Um, and the other areas that we have are are not the greatest. So I am I am expecting at this point my elevator handling to be cut in half versus a year ago, mm. and that could be a rosy forecast for me. So I. I am speaking very much in a, a backyard itis type way, but most everyone that I'm talking to, 
you know, especially wheat millers are super happy that they're carrying in a good amount of, of this past year's crop simply because they're not expecting a good amount of new crop to come into play. And, and I think that's kind of common across much of the Chicago wheat area and should have an influence. All right. Well, we'll just have to wait and see. Angie Setzer, before we let you go, where can folks see you next? How can they get in touch with you? What's the best way to, to reach out and get your thoughts on all things market? Yeah, you can email me at asetzer at citizenselevator.com, or you can go ahead and uh, follow me on Twitter at Goddess of Fantastic, folks. Look up Angie if you don't already follow her. There's a font of wisdom every day on her Twitter stream. Angie Setzer, thanks for talking to us today. Thanks for having me. Have a good one. All right. Well, thank you very much to Angie Setzer. Always appreciate getting the goddess of grains, opinions, and thoughts and focuses on the market. If you want to follow up with her, as she mentioned, find her on Twitter at Goddess of Grain. While you're there, look up Ag News Daily. Just search for Ag News Daily. We'll appear both on Facebook and on Twitter. Delaney, I hope, is going to be posting some cool stuff coming out of Chile. And I will uh, continue, you know, just blabbing about whatever it is that crosses my mind. That's the beautiful thing about Twitter. In the meantime, folks, you can always listen to our podcast on our website. Just go to agnewsdaily.com. We'll take you to our new home at the Global Ag Network. You can listen to us. You can listen to Angie Setzer's other podcast, uh, Girls uh, Girls Talk Ag. Excuse me, Angie. And um, all kinds of other fantastic content. So be sure to check that out. With that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to get back into the field here. I'm going to let you all get back to work. And I'm going to wish you all a wonderful day. (laughs) 